back to Trennis Magnus, Jab's Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host, Magnus, and guys, I've been doing this podcast now for five years. Well, five years. I say it's five years, but like the fact is, I may release this episode on August the 21st, or it could be the 22nd. To be honest with you, I haven't really completely figured that out yet. But basically, you could say it's five years, right? And pretty much, you know, the uh, like the official anniversary is August the 20th, right? Because it was on August the 20th, 2013, I launched the debut episode of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. And at that time, it was not. It basically, it was not part of the Two True Freaks network, right? So when I would start those early, early, early episodes, I would not say, Hello, and welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I would not say that. I would would instead simply say, Hello, and welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality. And then there was no presented part, you see? See what I mean? So anyway, that's really neither here nor there. The point is, I've been doing this, guys, I'm not kidding, right? You can double-check this if you want, but I've been doing this for five years, right? Now, I think it's kind of cool if you've been doing podcasting for a year, two years, three years, you know, that stuff, that, it's all fine, right? Nothing against any of that, it's, in its place, it's just fine, right? But when you've been doing it for five years, and especially when you haven't missed a single release release day ever, and in fact, if anything, there are, like in the grand scheme of things, not very many, but there are still weeks where there is more than one episode coming out, I think you're doing pretty well, you know? And pretty much, that's where I find myself, right? I have never missed a Tuesday release date. It's just never happened. And just to kind of give you guys um, a little bit of an insight into how how kind of proud I am of that. I mean, number one, it I've never missed a a, a Tuesday release date in five years. All right. So by itself, I think I think you're doing okay, right? But guys, what that takes into account is starting. Let me think. Three three new jobs, moving twice, and also surviving two natural disasters. In all of that time, I never missed a weekly release date, right? Now, to be fair, some of that really is luck, right? Because the natural disasters that I've been through have not been so severe as to knock out the internet, knock out power and all that stuff. Like Hurricane Ike uh, back in 2008, that fucked things up pretty good in the city of Houston. I didn't have, I mean, basically, I could not go back to my uh, townhouse for like, I think it was something like two weeks or something like that. You know, the townhouse itself was just fucked, right? There's there's no nice way to say it, so I'll just say it. I mean, the place was in just bad shape. But even if it hadn't been in bad shape, there was no power, there was no internet, there were no phone lines, there was no nothing. All right, so yeah, I guess I could sleep there, but that's really about the most you could do, right? And Hurricane Harvey from 2017, almost exactly a year ago at the time that I record this, 
Hurricane Harvey, it did a lot of damage, but it didn't hit my local area that badly, right? It just didn't. Now, it, in general, I mean, it really did knock the crap out of Houston, just as a city. But my local area, all things considered, got off pretty light, you know? I think for the entire, like, week that all of that bullshit was going on, I think we lost power for, and this is a cumulative thing, you understand. But I think we lost power for like a whopping five minutes or something like that. And that was just about as bad as it ever got, you know? So anyway, so like I'm saying, a lot of this, I'll be the first to admit, it kind of is due to luck, all right? But the fact is, it's still five years where conditions were perhaps not always ideal. Certainly they were far from uh, perfect. And, at, and you know, at, at times I would say they even kind of bordered on just kind of shitty and yet I never missed a Tuesday release date and I'm kind of proud of that you know and so maybe it's just it's partially because of well, actually it's what am I saying maybe burnout has got a lot to do with this you know that's uh, that's a big part of the reason why I'm taking the hiatus that I've been talking y'all's ears off about for so long now that's a big part of the reason why I'm going to be taking the hiatus right so there's that there's also some behind-the-scenes drama that's been going on that I'm just rapidly losing my patience with, as some of you may have seen over this last weekend. So there's that going on as well, just personality conflicts, perhaps, is the best way to put it. And all in all, it just seems like now probably isn't all that bad a time just to just to take a break. But when I come back, you know, guys, I'm, I'm kind of starting to develop a little bit of a game plan when it comes to the return from my hiatus. And the game plan is, there is no game plan. Um, basically, the idea is that I'm going to... You know, I've got a couple of episodes that, in theory, I could release whenever I want. But in the main... I, I mean, first of all, there's just... There are not very many, you know? I'm really starting to, you know, run to the bottom of my archive here. I think I've got, like, six or maybe less. I don't, it's just not a whole lot in, in, in the big scheme of things. Not, not a whole lot. But, you know, in the main, what I think I want to do when, when I come back from my hiatus is I want to... Basically, what I want to do is have a much smaller uh, gap between the time that, a, that an episode is recorded and the time that an episode comes out. You know, so whatever comics that I happen to be reading at that time you're going to hear about it in short order or whatever sh movie I just watched or whatever TV show I'm binging or, or, or just whatever, you know, you're going to hear about it in pretty short order. So there's not going to be like this huge archive that I'm always going to have. And, you know, there's always going to be, you know, plenty of shit, to, you know, to, to release. It's not going to, I, what I've decided is I want to be a lot more spontaneous about this stuff. So, and that, by the way, virtually guarantees that this show won't be weekly anymore. And, uh, well, five years of never missing a, 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 a Tuesday release date. No, I don't think I have anything to apologize for on that. So anyway, and, uh, yeah, so that's, that's basically what I'm kind of envisioning, you know, uh, not committing to anything yet, but if I were a betting man, I'd say that's, that's probably, that's probably how things are going to play out. Now, this whole time, I've been kind of patting myself on the back a little bit, you know, about, you know, five years, never missed a Tuesday. Woo, go me, you know. But guys, look, the fact is, you know, you, 
you listeners have been surprised. Like I say, it's surprising. It's 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 surprising to me. Surprisingly supportive of my of my show, and something that I don't think I've I've done a whole lot of, or at least maybe I haven't done enough of, is just giving you guys a shout out and letting you guys know how much I really do appreciate your feedback, how much I appreciate your your Facebook comments, how much I appreciate. You know, just you guys, you know, being there, you know, because the thing is, like, for those of you who have never actually done podcasting before, what you have to understand is, you know, the way that I've seemed to have fallen into doing it is I'm just kind of talking to thin air. So I have no idea how you guys are responding to this stuff. And that's actually going to kind of come into come into play a little bit in the next couple of weeks where I'm going to tell some stories that I at least think are funny but I have no idea how you guys are going to react to them. So I guess it just remains to be seen, you know? So, but anyway, you know, uh, how much I appreciate all of you guys just hanging around and just, you know, shooting the bull with me. Cause one of the things I haven't really done a whole lot of is basically talking about, uh, I don't know how else to put it, except donations, right? Basically giving me your money. Right. One of the reasons I haven't really talked a whole lot about that is because Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell charged me exactly zero dollars and zero cents to be part of the Two True Freaks podcast network. All I had to do to join was uh, basically uh, take Scott up on an offer that he made to me ages and ages and ages ago. That's literally all I had to do, you know. And so I have no real expenses when it comes to this show. And so... You know, asking for money, since my financial outlay is, this is not exaggeration on my part, it really is zero. I'm paying nothing at all to be here. And it's uh, Scott Gardner and and Chris Honeywell, they're the ones who are, uh, you know, paying the freight on all this. You know, the way that I looked at it was that, you know, the money that anyone would send, honestly, I think they probably got a stronger claim to it than I do. But... And I've even said that, by the way, to Scott Gardner twice. And his he made it very clear that his view on the matter is that monies that come in uh, in the name of a given show belong to that given show, right? So 100% of it is supposed to go to me, right? But if, I just I kind of feel kind of like a dipshit for asking because, like I say... My expenses are none, so it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense here. But, you know, my attitude about it was that, you know, Chris and Scott could just divide it between themselves, or maybe they could take out a percentage or something like that. But no, Scott said that all of it goes to me. And so this is all kind of a long way of saying that, you know, there haven't really been a lot of donations because I haven't really made a big thing out of that, you know. But for those of you who have donated money, thank you. I appreciate that. But really, you know, I just like having, you know, Trennis Magnus Punches Reality as a Facebook page where, you know, I can go in there and, you know, start a discussion about something or pe- or, or maybe uh, PQ Ribber is going to post a, uh, a link to um, his Overnightscape uh, podcast or just, you know, whatever it is that's going on. I really appreciate you guys just, you know, just coming along with me on this really weird ride that, that I've started and uh, it's been a lot of fun and... So, number one, I want you guys to know that I appreciate you. Number two, in the event that Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell are listening to this episode, I want you guys to know that I appreciate you as well 
because like I say, you know, you guys are the ones that are paying the freight on all this. You know, um, you've you've offered me a free platform, free, F-R-E-E, -E, totally free of charge to me anyway. I don't pay a, a single penny to be on your network. And, you know, you guys are, you, you've just been really cool about it. And I want you guys to know that I certainly value uh, this kind of client relationship that we have, but I also value the friendship that we have as well. It, it really does mean a lot to me. So thank you guys. I, I really do appreciate that. So anyway, five years. Woo! -hoo! So anyway, now moving away from that stuff, for those of you who don't know, the, the mega series that I'm working my way through right now, or the sub series or the, or whatever you want to call it, Batman's series finale. This is basically about the storyline, the, the Jeff Loeb, Jim Lee storyline, Hush. And for those of you who don't know, like I say, um, those episodes were recorded, I dare not exaggerate in saying, they were recorded two years ago. All right? That's not me fanning my own balls or, or showing off or anything like that. That is totally true, and I've got the, the uh, date stamps on my uh, hard drive to prove it, right? And so that's kind of a segue into me saying that, you know, it may seem like it's been all Batman all the time for me lately. Not really, you know? Uh, lately, there's been a lot of Lord, of Lord of the Rings. There's been a lot of Superman and stuff. And then, in the last couple of weeks, I kind of fell into an, uh, into another sort of a Batman kick. But for those of you listening, I don't think it seems that way because of the fact that there's been a shit ton of Batman episodes lately. But, you know, when I have more Batman stuff to say in this episode, rest assured, it's kind of advanced and sort of moved on from, you know, the stuff that I was thinking about, you know, like two years ago when I made those Hush episodes and stuff. So, anyway, just something to keep in mind there. One of the things that I've been reading a lot, I've never really completely figured out, you know, how best to describe this particular era of Batman that I've been kind of cracking out on lately. Because, you know, Batman's publishing history, it really is kind of kind of weird in some ways. Because you've got, you've got uh, Gardner Fox and or Bill Finger and or Bob, K well, and Bob Kane doing the first, I would say, solid year or so on Detective Comics from Detective Comics number 27 going up to number 38, about a year-ish or so. And I really like those early, uh, you know, those early uh, issues of Detective Comics. I mean, I did a show about, um, I don't think, I, I think it was Detective Comics number 28 to number 37, I want to say, because there's a separate episode where I talked about Detective Comics number 27, so Detective Comics number 28 to number 37. I'm pretty sure, I'm like 99% sure I did an episode about those issues at one point, ages and ages and ages ago, and, you know, I really dig that era. It's really cool and pulpy and atmospheric, and I, I just, I dig it. And to me, when you say the Golden Age Batman, in a certain sense, that's really the Batman that I'm that I'm thinking of, even though I kind of have to acknowledge that the Golden Age Batman, when people kind of say that as an umbrella term, it goes far and beyond just Detective Comics number 27 to number 37, right? I'm the, I would be the first one to acknowledge that. But nevertheless, 
that to me is the golden age Batman. You know, that's, or at least that's what I think of when you say golden age Batman. And basically things really do take a turn starting in Detective Comics number 38 and then just going right on through with the introduction of Robin. And yes, technically that we're still talking about the golden age, but for some reason to me, it's just something changed and not completely for the better, I don't think, with the advent of Robin and basically, you know, adding and Robin to Batman, you know? I'm not one of those anti-Robin types, but, you know, it. I would say it would be fair that, it's fair to say that it basically took the powers that be a little while to figure out how best to use Robin, you know? Maybe that's the best way to put it, you know? How best to write Robin, you know? And so, I don't know, but there are times when Robin works really, really well in a given story, and there are times when he doesn't work at all, and that's completely not the point, so I don't know why I'm harping on this. The point is, Golden Age Batman, my purest conception of that is Detective Comics number 27 to Detective Comics number 37, starting with Detective Comics number 38. Batman just kind of, sort of, becomes something else, in my opinion. You know, there's... I don't know. So, yes, I'm willing to acknowledge that is the Golden Age Batman, but I I don't know. Sometimes things just are not as simple as we want them to be. But you start getting into the late 40s and God knows into the early 50s, and we are definitely not talking about what most people think of as the Golden Age Batman anymore. You know, we're just not. You know, the character was getting lighter and lighter and lighter, and he's. this is becoming less of kind of like a uh, sort of gritty crime urban drama type of a thing. And it's becoming a little bit more of Batman as just kind of costumed adventurer, you know? And it sounds kind of mean to say it that way because it just fucking does. But And the thing is, like, I don't mean it that way at all. That's the era I've really been absorbing lately and really getting into. I guess in a... In the strictest sense, I guess this is still technically the Golden Age Batman. But this kind of sci-fi Batman, you know, where he's going to other planets or, you know, he's always smiling. He's Gotham City's most famous citizen, you know, and he's this virtuous costumed adventure superhero type of character, you know, is just so far removed from what first started up in Detective Comics number 27 that... It's to me, I just don't feel comfortable saying that those that both of those things are equally the Golden Age Batman. That just that may have like, I don't know, some kind of like scholastic accuracy to it. But I just it doesn't scan for me. You know, I it doesn't it doesn't really add up that these are both basically the same guy in the same context and the same continuity and all that stuff. You know, I've just I have always had a very hard time buying that. But We know this cannot be the Silver Age Batman because the Silver Age Batman got started under Carmine Infantino in 1964. So this kind of post-1945, pre-1964 Batman, like what do you call this Batman? And that's kind of the point of this entire diatribe that I've been slowly meandering through. What exactly do you call this Batman, right? And I mean specifically like the 50s Batman, but I guess just for ease of conversation, we can say... 
from about 1945 or 1946 going right on through to 1963. What do you call that Batman? I don't feel comfortable calling that Batman the Golden Age Batman. And calling him sci-fi Batman, I don't think is completely fair, or for that matter, even accurate. Because, you know, there really were some... There were a ton of stories that didn't feature, you know, uh, like spaceships and aliens and monsters and stuff like that. You know, there were tons of issues that were just... Just not that, you know? And like the first Batman, for example, that storyline where we find, find out that, you know, Thomas Wayne was kind of sort of Batman in a way from a certain point of view, maybe kind of, you know, and that was a pretty gripping story. You know, I mean, that's pretty balls out stuff for the 50s. And, you know, it just feels weird to call all of these things equally the Golden Age Batman. So basically the compromise that I've made sort of, I guess, with myself is to just for lack of a better way of describing it, I guess calling this the Sprang Batman. Now, the instant you say that, you kind of have to acknowledge that, you know, there were other artists like Sheldon Moldoff, uh, Jim Mooney. I mean, there, there were tons of them, right? Stan Kay. There were, there were bunches of them. And so calling this just the Sprang Batman just doesn't seem fair. But at the same rate, you know, like Dick Sprang's art, is kind of, it's associated, illustrative, to draw upon, uh, of this Batman. It's like the minute you say the Sprang Batman, everybody knows what you mean. Everybody knows what that, or comics, anyway, everyone in comics knows what that means, you know? And so, you know, I, I readily understand that's not necessarily the most accurate way to say it, but it's nevertheless a more specific way to say it. So rather than saying that kind of interstitial period between what I at least consider to be the 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 nitty gritty of of the golden age, which for my money lasts from 1939 to 1945, and then starting in 1964, this kind of weird period in between, like what do you call this Batman? Simply calling him the Spring Batman. Well, I don't know. That seems to work as well as anything else. So anyway, so my point is, to kind of segue into the next issue, I've been reading a ton of this spraying Batman stuff from uh, the 50s. And to me, you know, I would say that for probably the majority of my life, this was an era of Batman that I acknowledge exists, but I didn't really have a whole lot of experience with, didn't really know a whole lot about and by and large, didn't really want to have all that much to do with. You know what I mean? Just wasn't my blend. And I based this on having read only a handful of stories, all of which I liked. So I don't really know what my problem was. But I just, for the most part, would have would avoid that stuff. I mean, hey, you want to give me some 1930s Batman? Bring it on. You want to give me some kind of mid to late 1960s Batman? I'm all there. Some some Bronze Age goodness? Hey, I'll be there with bells on. Miller's Batman? I love it. On and on and on. I love all that stuff. But this kind of spring era Batman in the 50s? Uh, not so much, right? So, and that was pretty much the state of things for, like I say, the majority of my life when a couple of years ago, I actually did start reading through some of this stuff. And you know what? 
I'll be the first to admit that there are a lot of flights of fancy and a lot of those issues, and there are some ideas that may be mm, better left forgotten, perhaps. But, you know, there's a tone and there's a style to those stories that I just really dig. You know, the thing is, what we all have to acknowledge is that Batman never really had a Mort Wiesinger, you know? There was never somebody in uh, Batman's 50s and 60s era to kind of steer the ship and give everything kind of a tonal consistency, while at the same time creating new ideas and themes and concepts and all that stuff. Batman was basically left for most of the 50s playing catch-up with Superman. And when he tried to play catch-up with Superman, there are times when that turned out okay, and there are times when that turned out to be something other than okay. Batman perhaps needed a Mort Wiesinger in the 50s, and he didn't get one. But what Batman did get, you know, I mean, those stories, some of, like I say, honestly, admittedly, some of them really are better than others, but they're, these are actually really good, you know? There's some very imaginative uh, concepts that are kind of making the rounds in those 50s-era uh, Batman comics, and I've just been really enjoying it. And I think a, a huge part of this, and maybe one of the reasons why I call this the Sprang Batman, but a huge part of that really does come down to Dick Sprang, you know? Because if you look at a lot of those artists from the 40s and God knows getting into the 50s, you're at a real loss <clears throat> to just at a glance identify one from another. I mean, Because at least for me, they all sort of run together, except for Dick Sprang. And I don't know why, but there's something about Sprang's line that just screams, this is Dick Sprang's art, you know? And there's a tone and a style to it that it's not just meat and potatoes, you know, comic strip illustration. You know, he's actually trying to inject a lot of character and a lot of atmosphere and tone and style and all that stuff onto the page. In a time and a place when, guys, nobody would have held it against him if he just kind of phoned it in and just banged these pages out, you know? Because, guys, this is just product. No one's going to remember it next month, so don't knock yourself out. But I don't know. A lot of that stuff really does look awesome, you know? And so, I don't know. It's just sometimes you maybe you need to be a little bit older to truly appreciate something you know in this case dick sprang's batman i'm not prepared to say that dick sprang is to batman what cut what a uh, kurt swan is to superman because i just don't think that's true you know i mean you know because you know if records be checked sprang did not stick around as long on batman as swan did on superman okay I don't think anybody out there disputes that, you know? And by the way, that's no criticism of Dick Sprang. I mean, look, he 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 stuck around for a really long time. Then he retired and he did other stuff, you know? Hey, more power to you, man. Um, Kurt Swan, he was in it for the long haul. He was there until somebody showed him the door, you know? And that isn't to say that Swan is good and Sprang is bad. It's just that I don't think it's a completely apt comparison, you know? I really don't. Having said all of that, you know, when I think of like, like I said a minute ago, when I think of Golden Age Batman, that kind of, uh, I don't even know how else to put it, that sort of crooked ear type of um, Batman from specifically the the early issues of Detective Comics with um, 
uh, Bill Finger and uh, Bob Kane, and just those really gritty and atmospheric, uh, almost pulpy types of stories that they were doing. That, to me, is Golden Age of Batman. And when I think of 1950s Batman, boys and girls, it begins and ends with Dick Sprang. And it's actually gotten to the point now, all of these uh, Sprang issues that I've worked my way through, I'm actually starting to think that, you know what? I think, I'm not quite ready to say that he's like in my top five favorite Batman artists, but I'm starting to think he might be in the top 10. You know, if I were to actually, you know, uh, come up with a list and start, you know, parceling out who goes where. Yeah, I could picture Sprang being somewhere in the top 10, not the top five for sure, but certainly the top 10, you know, this I do affirm. So anyway, it's just been a ton of fun. And speaking of fun, I think a huge catalyst for this, this reevaluation of the spraying Batman of the, of the 1950s that I've been enjoying lately, the real seeds of that actually go back to Batman, the brave and the bold, the animated series where it really did work with a little bit more of a lighthearted type of type of Batman. Now, guys, it needs to be said that in today's world, camp has come to mean something completely different than what it was originally intended to mean, right? And if you're interested in knowing what the original definition and intent and usage of camp is, guys, Wikipedia is your friend. Idiomatically, what it means these days is... It's kind of a, uh, a, it's sort of like a mode of performance that doesn't take itself completely seriously. It's not so over the top as to border on self-parody, but it doesn't take itself blood and gut seriously either. And I think that's a pretty apt description of the brave and the bold. Um, and as it happens, that's kind of a tone and a style that in its place, I actually kind of enjoy with Batman and any kind of like modern uh, incarnation of the 1950s Batman. There's all, there's, I, I'm not saying I, I completely like this, but it's, it's, it's practically automatic that it's going to have a certain amount of self-awareness to it. Again, perhaps not self-parody. Maybe this modern idiom of uh, the word camp is maybe the best way to put it. But there's not gonna there there won't be very many um, sincere depictions of the 1950s Batman at least for the time being, and it's like on the one hand I understand that I accept that and there's even a degree to which I even kind of respect that I do still sort of lament that you know because those 1950s Batman issues were not self-parody they were not camp and. You know, they weren't necessarily, like I say, blood and guts serious. But they they were nevertheless sincere. Now, hold on just a minute while I get a sip off of my Dr. Pepper here. I'm also going to get a drag off of my vaporizer.
Mm. All right. So <clears throat> moving right along, like I say, that's just the uh, the Brave and the Bold takes its influence, obviously, from more than just the 1950s Batman, but you're kind of not really doing your job if you don't recognize the debt, the extensive debt, in fact, that the Brave and the Bold, Bold owes to the 1950s. Other influences are at play. Yes, I acknowledge this. But I love The Brave and the Bold. It's a really enjoyable show. But one of the kind of lasting eh, regrets I have with the show is that it doesn't... It, it's stylistically very similar to... Well, maybe not stylistically. But whatever. I mean, like I say, you can't ignore the... Uh, the uh, influence that the 1950s Batman has on the brave and the bold. And I get that. But, you know, one of the things that I do sort of regret about the show, especially in retrospect, is that it didn't really get too much into the status quo of the 1950s. Cause for those of you who don't know the shtick of the brave and the bold is that it's basically a team up show. You know, every episode Batman teams up with at least one other DC Comics character and then they have an adventure together. And that's pretty much the shtick of the show. It's Batman with insert guest star here. It's not necessarily a show about Batman. Does that make sense? And so, you know, the end result of that is, you know, you get a lot of these nods and references to I would say you know, the DC universe as it was in the 1950s, but you don't necessarily spend a whole lot of time in Batman's world. You know, this is not a 1950s analog of Batman, the animated series. And, you know, in, in retrospect, I kind of wish that it was, you know, I kind of wish that this had been a little bit more, uh, along the lines of the animated series, you know, the, that was a Batman show. Now, there might be instances when Superman might show up or something like that, but specifically, that is a Batman show. And I don't think that The Brave and the Bold is specifically a Batman show. I don't think anybody would make that claim. You know what I mean? So, anyway, I like The Brave and the Bold. I'm not criticizing it. It's a great, fun show. But I do have to acknowledge that, you know, given my druthers and considering how well the creative team did with just a sort of general... Uh, 1950s DC Universe pastiche. What might they have done if they'd kind of honed their focus a bit more on Batman's world, the way that Batman the Animated Series did? Now, by way of defending them, you know, kind of playing devil's advocate here, The Brave and the Bold, it didn't just follow Batman the Animated Series, although that's enough, you know, by itself. I mean, that's a pretty tough act to follow, you know. But The Brave and the Bold didn't just follow... Batman the Animated Series, it also followed that kind of anime-ish The Batman, which, you know, some people like and some people don't, I guess, but, you know, as a general thing, you know, The Batman was an animated show that, again, really did focus in on Batman and his world, you know, and yeah, other characters appeared from time to time, you know, outside of the Batman sort of mini-universe. But as a general thing, yeah, that was that was a Batman show. The Batman was. And so here comes The Brave and the Bold, and it's following both of those things. And I understand why maybe they wanted to go in a different direction. 
you know? I understand that, but just coming back to it now, I do wish that this had been more... This, meaning the Brave and the Bold. I do wish this had been more of a specifically and perhaps exclusively Batman show. You know, the way that Batman the Animated Series had been, you know? So, whatever. Here again, I understand what it's all about. I'm just saying, you know? So, anyway. Golly. Closing in on, uh, at this point, it's nearly 40 minutes. So, actually, I've got a few other things that I could mention here, but I think I'm going to go ahead and probably keep those to my to myself. So... Anyway, that's pretty much what I wanted to get out there. Just again, you know, guys, five years, you guys have been sticking with me this whole time. I really do appreciate it, you know, both from those of you who have been listening, those of you who have been sending in feedback and participating on the Facebook group, and also, again, to Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell for giving me a platform completely free of charge, I might add, a totally free platform for me to release my show week in and week out. So yes, it's been five years, and I'm very happy about that. But more than that, I really am happy that you guys have stuck with me. And I'm also happy that I haven't caused fatal offense, apparently, to Scott or Chris, that I've gotten booted off the network. So to everyone who isn't Trentus Magnus, guys, thank you very much. I really do appreciate you. So... And that, I think, is pretty much it for me for right now. So, bye, everybody. I will see you next week.